Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right, head to Twisted Willow Soap Company, and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. The moon is my mother. She is not sweet like Mary. Her blue garments unloose small bats and owls. How I would like to believe in tenderness. Welcome to Hecate and Witchcraft, the 75th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of 20th century poet Sylvia Plath. You may call me Ode. Mary Meat, my name is Gwyn, and I'm Ode's mother. And wow, it feels weird to saying skip that. Car like, in that skip yeah. car, it's like his, you know, there's this big empty <laughs> space. Yeah, there's a space on that side of the table. So. And it feels really weird to just be you and me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so as you might remember, if you were listening last week, mm-hmm. uh, it is just Gwyn and Ode. That's this, right. This week, no car. He is, well, he was going to go to a summit. Pagan summit. A pagan summit, but there was inclement weather. But since he did not know there was going to be inclement weather until last night, he was unprepared for this episode. So he's just taking the day off. He's just chilling. He's taking the day off. So we are going to be doing this episode by ourselves. And we're going to be talking about Hecate and Witchcraft. But first, do we have any housekeeping? Upcoming in February, the weekend of Valentine's weekend, I'll be in California and San Jose. Doing Pantheacon. Pantheacon, the very final, last Pantheacon. Mm -hmm. And then the week after that, we, the three of us, will be at Convocation in Detroit, where we will be teaching three classes and... Moderating it. Moderating, yeah. Yeah. We're Mm -hmm. we're gearing into 2020. That's right. And, oh, if you didn't pay attention to the Patheos blog, the three-pack blog, Ode had their first... I wrote a blog on there, finally. ...blog post on Tuesday, which was very good, very in-your-face, and very, I'm Ode. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, But it was an excellent piece. Probably won't be that hostile every single blog, but that one I was. Alyssa says, Ode, I read it and loved it. Thank good, you, Alyssa. Good. It was something that needed to be said, and it's something we are going to actually address on our next podcast, I believe, when Carr uh, comes yeah, back. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. it's the next one or the one after that. I'm not sure I'd have to take this. Schedule. That's right. But yeah, we'll be, we'll be discussing that more uh, on the podcast. That's right. So if you want to prepare for that, go read Ode's blog post on Patheos Pagan, the three-pack mm-hmm. blog. It's called Mind Your P's and Q's. Ready to get into it? Ready to yeah. start telling us about Hecate? Hecate, yes, or Hecate, as most right. people are, rec- you know, would recognize most her name. Most people are familiar as. with that pronunciation. That's right. That. Where do I even begin? I guess I begin with Hecate herself mm-hmm. as a goddess. All right. So Hecate is over three thousand years old. We have a lot, actually, of information about her that's textual been recorded. Evidence. Yeah, textual evidence. She is. They believe a pre-Greek goddess who was probably from the Thracian area. She was probably an earth goddess of some kind or a mother goddess. 
who moved from Thrace into Asia Minor. They said there's some who believe she may be connected to the Minoans snake goddess as well. But eventually she became adopted by the Greek as a titan, essentially. Mm-hmm. And one of the first writings about her, my understanding is, was Hesiod's Theogony. He was the first to mention her. Right, which the, the Theogony, I believe, was a description of sort of the cosmic, how the world was put together. Yes. The cosmology. How, exactly. And, and the, the ancestries of the various gods. Exactly. The Theogony is, is where a lot of information about Hecate was first formed, um, for instance, or at least was first documented. Or first documented, exactly. <laughs> they, he was just recording things mm-hmm. that people had known for well, probably centuries. <laughs> well, oral tradition, oral, so, so yeah, things oral that had evolved, things that had evolved rather over, than things that had been known necessarily. Right. He right. was, he was that, setting down what he considered the the important information, yeah. exactly. And so he was the one that basically said that her parentage was Asteria, who is also known as the Starry One, and Perseus, the destroyer, and uh, she was supposedly their only child. And the Titans are the primordial gods? Yes. They were the the Greek pantheon? Mm Mm-hmm. They were the primordial gods, and they got up to some shenanigans with the Olympians, Mm -hmm. and it is said that Hakati sided with the Olympians Mm -hmm. and fought against the Titans, and so was then awarded by Zeus, I guess you could say in kind of the way it's I've read it is he kind of allowed her to keep her, her titles. She became the, you know, she allowed, he allowed her to keep her dominion over the earth, the sea and the sky. Which is interesting because there are other gods who, who are Olympians who yes. have control of those things. It was, it's kind of an interesting, it's like he, so, gets, I, so, so it sounds more like she kept those titles symbolically rather maybe. than practically because the mythologies that I've read have like, the sea is Poseidon's mm-hmm. domain, and he does see things. Interestingly, she does get conflated with some of these. She's like, she works with with Poseidon in some mythologies that are recorded. So my guess is that's all an attempt to fold in her existing mythologies with mm-hmm. new mythologies. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly it. And I think that's why later you see her associated with Artemis, and you see her associated with Selene. She's also listed as potentially the daughter of Demeter through the Orphic hymns. Um, I think Bacalids, I'm not sure how to say his name, uh, has Nyx as her mother, mm-hmm. um, Asteria and Zeus, <laughs> who are also listed a lot as of the potential gods, parentage. A, a lot of the gods exactly. have questionable parentage. So there's a lot of question about who her parentage is, but it seems to be, at least in modern practice, people are associating her mostly with Asteria and Percy as her parents. That makes most sense if she's a Titan. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't make much sense for her to be a Titan and for Zeus to be her father. I know, right? <laughs> that, it's it's weird. In fact, and there's some that uh, lists her as it the, make much the sense. wife of Zeus. It and wouldn't <laughs> make much sense for Demeter to be her mother either if she's a I Titan. Know, I know. Asterius and Percy most, seem most likely that she's why, a Titan. And yeah. that's, I think, why most people accept that, that parentage, parentage, that lineage, because it does make the most sense. Yeah. With, with <laughs> that's the, the most comprehensible one. Exactly. Exactly. And then, just like with a lot of Greek myths, she is either seen as a maiden, Mm -hmm. or she is seen as a mother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's either childless or has children. Mm -hmm. She's potentially the mother of Scylla, of of Scylla and Corinthians. Of Scylla and Corinthians, yes. (laughs) Uh, Circe, 
Medea, who also could either have been her children or her devotees. Yeah, what, now, yeah what I've read about Medea is that she was a priestess of... Yes, and that's mostly where I see it as well. But apparently there are some sources that list Medea as her daughter. So it just depends, I, I think, on who you're reading. So all the, all the translations I've read where Medea plays a role, mm-hmm. it's as a priestess, and they talk about her in the temple of Bukati mm-hmm. yep. frequently. And I think so that I wonder makes if, more sense. And so I wonder if the sources that translate or list her as a daughter mm-hmm. are intending it to be read as priestess. Could be. That's entirely because I, possible. Because we know that sometimes Greek doesn't translate perfectly to exactly. English. Exactly. And that makes more sense to me that she would... I don't... Yeah, because I don't know if they Pearson. ever talk about Kirke as having been in the temple of Hakati, but I do know that, that Medea is mentioned as being yes. in the temple of Hakati. As a priestess. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then she's got a couple of other kids, but again, it depends on who you're reading mm-hmm. and what the mythology is. And who translated it. And who translated it. <laughs> she also did apparently have two mystery cults that they're aware of. Eleusinian Mysteries yeah. at the temple of Eleusinian. That's also a mystery of Demeter and Persephone. Yes, exactly. Which I think is where uh, some of this conflation comes. A lot of times she's included in a triple deity with that, triple goddess configuration. I know you don't like that. I don't like that. (laughs) And then she's also, uh, there's also the Orphic Mysteries. She's Mm -hmm. included in those. So she has been around for a very, very, very long time. And I think, I I bet part of the reason she has such like a complex mythology is Mm -hmm. that she's been around for so long. I think so, definitely. Most people, especially modern people, consider her a dark goddess. Mm -hmm. But really, when you look at all the epithets, all the names, all the jobs, if you will, or mm-hmm. descriptions of her, she is really both a goddess of light and dark. It just depends on what she's doing. Well, she's a torchbearer, so she's she explicitly is. a goddess of bringing light into darkness. Exactly. She is. She is a light-bearing goddess, but yet because of her connection to the underworld through being a guardian and a guide, especially a Persephone. Being a psychopomp. Yes, being a psychopomp, people consider her to be a little frightening mm-hmm. because of her underworld it's connection. It's interesting that she's considered a dark goddess because she's in the dark, even though the thing she's doing in the dark Bring is light. bringing light. Bringing light, bringing guardian. That but she's like also a misunderstanding of Hecate. I know, I know. She's also considered a Chthonic deity, right? which is of the earth, but she's also, and I think this is where she's, Asteria and also the Nyx connection come in. She's also considered a night-wandering goddess, a sender of dreams and visions. She is the mistress of the dead in that she escorts the, you know, souls psychopomp. of the dead as a psychopomp. She has the key. She holds the key to the underworld to help get people in and out. She is very protective. She is a, a goddess of women and children and the marginalized. But she's also known as Brimo, which is Stormbringer and Terrifying One. Mm-hmm. And so she's just got all these... Layers. You know, these layers. And so I guess it really depends on how you, how you see her. And a lot of people see her from, well, honestly, from Shakespeare's description of her in Macbeth. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go from mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think yeah. that's where the hag reading of Picacci comes yeah. from. Yeah. From Shakespeare. Yeah. That's my guess. <laughs> exactly. There is also Alistair Crowley. He wrote several odes to Hecate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he described as her witchcraft. as a goddess of witchcraft, but also as like a, you know, a hell flesh eating hag, you know. Mm. And apparently there are some grimoires that are attributed to a couple of popes. Mm -hmm. And one of those I think is said to have maybe influenced Shakespeare's understanding of Hecate. Mm. Um, Because as I was reading more information about Hecate, apparently 
There were Christian scholars and apologists who actually considered her a kind of a threat, I guess, <laughs> and wrote about her, such as Origen in the 3rd century, Eusebius of the early 4th century, Arnobius of Sica of the 4th century, and even St. Augustine in the 4th and 5th centuries wrote about Hecate and basically demonized her as a... As that's a, not unusual. You know, they exactly. That with all the gods and exactly. goddesses. Yeah. That's, but that's what I'm saying, is that she, you know, they, even though the church tried to stamp out worship of the various deities, Hakati right. included, right. she she lasted well into the 11th century as far as people still acknowledging her existence. So, but not worshiping her like actually, actively. actually, yes, they were actively because one of the I, I have a list of some of the different ways that people would you know honor her. One of them was the deep non which was the monthly supper, Hecate's supper, that happened at the dark moon or the new moon, depending on who you're reading. People would take a plate out to the crossroads with food, right. um, like, eggs, like, garlic, you know, and the things, things like you that, put on the a plate. things you do. And that practice, even though everything was being Christianized, that practice continued, again, into the 11th but, century. But that's a folk tradition at that point. Like yes, they're no longer is. doing it in worship of Hakati. They're just doing it because it's like a, a tradition. Well, it, it depends, on, I guess, on who you're reading and what they thought about it. <laughs> anyway, that's... So that's I guess just, what I'm asking is, did it retain a religious what, character at that what, point? What I'm understanding is, yes, it still maintained a religious character, even though, yes, it probably was a folk tradition by that time, and it wasn't necessarily outright worship of Hakati. It was still a recognition of her as a protector and as as someone to assist them, because apparently she, according to what I read, she became uh, because she was a light bringer. She mm-hmm. became associated with Lucifer, and not in a good way. <laughs> uh, and and <laughs> someone, <laughs> some Christian somewhere was like, "Wait a minute, I exactly. see a connection." <laughs> exactly, and also even some of the angels, even like the archangel Michael, she because she was considered a warrior with the you know with that Titan war that she helped win. At that point, they would have had to consider. 90% of the gods associated with the archangels. I know, I know. It's just weird. It's really weird. So it just depends, again, it depends on who you're reading, but apparently there are some apologists along with all the other gods They were trying to convince people, no, you don't want to continue these practices. And apparently this was one of the hardest practices that, you know, trying to get these to get them stamped out, if gotcha. you will. Air says, I imagine that work was similar to lighting of candles in the windows during Christmas. The mm-hmm. original purpose is lost, but the folk tradition lives on and is preserved for fear of stopping. Yeah, that, that would be my yeah. guess. I would question modern interpretations of it retaining a religious character. Mm-hmm. If there are sources in antiquity that say it still retained mm-hmm. a religious character, then fine. But I, I, I hesitate to say that like, mm-hmm. ooh, people in the 11th century were yeah. still doing this religiously because we have a tendency as modern pagans mm-hmm. to look at the things that our ancestors were doing and insist that they were doing it the same way we are. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look further into that, but yeah. that is this the basic sources that I was reading. And one of those was Sorita Diaz, uh-huh. who does a lot of history and research on Hecate. So we'll see. My whole thing is, even if it was just a folk tradition, somewhere deep in the, if you will, the collective unconscious, just like with the worship of other deities, it's still retained in there, which is why I think today, as we're modern pagans, I think, 
think the, we have, you know, this resurgence of interest in reconstruction and in learning about these gods and goddesses and worshiping them and honoring them. I think it all still bears out in the collective unconscious. That's my personal belief. Yeah, I don't know if I think the collective unconscious is responsible for that, but that's interesting. Yeah, whatever. That's just my, <laughs> that's my belief from ancient times to now. We are constantly adding to the collective unconscious, whether it's unverified or verified personal gnosis. So so tell us some more about Hakati. Okay. Don't give me just like her parentage mm-hmm. and the other gods she was associated. Like what's she do? Well, what does she do? Okay. Yeah. Well, what's she, what's she do? And like, what are, what are the things associated with her? Well, things that she's associated with. First of all, obviously she's associated with witchcraft. She's right. called the queen of the witches as far as Greek tradition is concerned. I think that's how she's best known. Yeah. Queen of witches. So she's involved in pharmacaea, well, any kind of, of herbal magic, especially if it's curse related. Mm-hmm. You know, that was historically, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Hecate had a lot of yes. curses attached to her. Yes. <laughs> yes, she did. There are a couple of, like, there are a couple of plays where she's only mentioned glancingly by mm-hmm. someone saying, like, yeah, I got these curse herbs from Hakati, and now I'm going to curse someone with them. <laughs> and obviously she's a goddess of crossroads, and so that's where one, she has several forms. There's obviously the maiden form where it's just, she's just there, and she's holding keys or, or, a, or a torch or, a, torch torch was very or common. a dagger. She, she's often seen as with a dagger. Um, but then she also has triple form, which is often associated or most often associated with the crossroads. Makes sense. Because it's a triple crossroad that she's associated with. You will have either three bodies mm-hmm. each facing one direction. one direction or one body with three heads, each head facing a direction. Right. And because she is the goddess of the crossroads, she is, you know, she can see the past, present, and the future. Is that modern or ancient? It could be either or both. I'm not really sure. Gotcha. But she is also associated with oracles. She had active, just like Apollo and many other gods, she had active oracles. She is a goddess that brings prophecy and dreams and visions to mm-hmm. her devotees, things like that. She is a goddess of the marginalized, so, you know, the poor, that's part of what some people, more modern tradition, believe that the deep nun also was, a, you know, a way to leave out food for the poor, mm. <laughs> basically. Well, whether it was or not, that's who was eating it. That's probably, who was so. eating it. Yeah, exactly. She is a goddess of childbirth, protection of mothers and children. She's a protector of the home. And so a lot of Hecatean witches will put keys on their front door, infusing and asking a blessing of protection on the home through Hecate. And I believe she's also associated with dogs yes. and various night animals. She is. She is because she's also, she's also considered a goddess of the moon, obviously. The new and dark moon, mm-hmm. as well as the full moon. She is associated with a number of animals, including horses, snakes, dogs. I think she's even associated with deer. Deer, yes, and bulls. Yeah. In fact, she is, sometimes she's depicted, I don't know what they call it, with four forms, mm-hmm. with animal heads. Tetrad. <laughs> uh, with animal heads, and they can be a bull or a dog mm-hmm. or a, mostly horse, snake, dog, or bull, I think are the ones that she's most associated with having the head of. She is considered a night walker. That's a vague with, term. You're going to want to well, describe that. <laughs> she, it, it is said that she comes, she goes to liminal spaces and she draws with her those souls that have, are walking the earth and she basically gathers them to take them 
you know. And do psychopomp and jobs. And do psychopomp jobs. They're called Hecate's Horde, or, or she'll just wander the night. Right. You know. And through that, she's is probably where her association with necromancy comes. Yes, because she is associated with necromancy, so a lot of people will use her uh, through mediumistic work mm-hmm. or any kind of... They'll invoke Hecate yeah, they, invoke, before they attempt to contact a family member. Exactly. Yeah. She's actually... There's people who will use her for ancestry work, mm-hmm. you know, invoke her before they begin ancestry work. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So, and there's a lot of different kinds of witchcraft associated with her. Obviously, the making of amulets and charms, blood magic, because back in the day they did offer blood sacrifices through usually to, through animals to all the to gods, all the yeah. gods, right? <laughs> so, some people do still do some blood magic. Mm-hmm. Obviously, curses. <laughs> Right. Specifically binding curses from what I'm reading. Now she does have, she is associated with a lot of baneful herbs. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll hear Hecate, which is talking about, you know, Hecate's garden. They include things like belladonna, datura, hellebore, hemlock, henbane, mandrake, poppy, pennyroyal, wolfsbane, which apparently is, uh, wolfsbane is a historical, they've confirmed that that is mo- that, one that of- That was actually that associated was very, with Hecate and antiquity. Exactly. Or if it's because of the dogs. Um, could be. Actually, there's there's a theory that, because, you know, Wolfbane supposedly was created by Cerberus being dragged mm-hmm. from Hades, you know, from hell, uh-huh. if you will, or poor Hades. Cerberus. Poor Under, spot. Poor spot. Poor Cerberus being dragged out by Hercules, and mm-hmm. his blood is what, you know, dra- hitting the earth is what created Wolfsbane. Hercules is a bully. He is. So, uh, but also Mugwort is associated with Hecate as one of her herbs. I don't know if that's modern or if it's ancient. Uh, yeah, but probably, I don't know that, I don't know if they had Mugwort. I think it's probably m- more modern. Yeah. Uh, but that is considered an herb of hers that you can use because there's a lot of different divinations you can do with her bone and tarot, obviously, and different things like that. There's also the Vosis Magicae or magical words are Associated with her, mm-hmm. um, that's from an- from antiquity, right? Um, with especially the Ephesian Magic letters, spells. whether it was binding a spell or starting a ritual, the sacred words, if you right. would, would be invoked at her rituals and are still today. There's a lot of modern practitioners. Yeah, I was going to say so. So you, mm-hmm. as a hecatane, which you have certain ritual words that you say mm-hmm. to sort of call in Hecate. Mm-hmm. And some of those, I think, are hymns. Yes. One of the things that I do is I read the Orphic Hymn of Hecate, a modern translation, <laughs> obviously, which there are several. You're not reading it in Greek? No. I'm going to learn it, though. That's my goal, is yeah. to learn how to actually sing it in Greek. Mm. There's a lot of both ancient prayers and hymns. And modern devotional. And Modern poetry. devotional poetry that people create. I'm not so great at the creating of the of the hymns and the poetry, so I use a lot of stuff that has already Fair been created. Fair enough. I love to use the more ancient things, specifically the traditional Orphic hymn. Mm-hmm. I enjoy using that. But also there's the Vosis Magicae, which the the most famous one are the Ephesian letters, which are seven words that are basically of unknown meaning and origin. Hmm. But they're supposed to be filled with well, magic. Presumably the origin is Ephesus. Uh, presumably. <laughs> um, my, I guess apparently the first appearance of those words was actually in a Mycenaean inscription in the 5th century BCE. And they just haven't figured out. And they, they haven't found it. Nobody uh, knows what it means. Uh, there's been some translations, uh-huh. you know, that they've attempted. I think this is what it means. So they just but haven't found a cipher for it. Nope. Yet. Nope. They haven't found a cipher for gotcha. it. So it's either in an unknown language or they're made up. Exactly. But in addition to ancient chants or hymns, you can also, and, and writing your own, right. obviously you can say her name, 
call her name just, you know, in a chant. Right. You can say her epithets, which is another thing I like to do mm-hmm. when I'm calling Pakati to come and enter into a ritual that I'm doing is to say her name with an epithet that I'm specifically calling her. So Yeah, you call on Hakati Brimo sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, the because the Stormbringer yeah. or, you know, she's the, the fiery one. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's like, oh, I really need you. But, like, some people will uh, use Hecate Satiria, which is savior, Hecate Anodia, which is guide, um, Hecate Lampadios, which is the torchbearer, light bringer, mm. hundreds, literally. I mean, you can look right. up, you know, all these names. I can't name them all for you, obviously. That is a really excellent way to call her to into specify to specify who, <laughs> how you're asking her to join you, which aspect of Hecate you would like to deal with. Yeah. So Air says, I wonder if these heavy hitting goddesses and gods were always this way, or if they became this way as people fought against colonization of their beliefs by Christianity. We don't need you, Mary. We have our own goddess of the hearth who communes with the dead. Not to say that is what is happening. I'm just curious if the correspondences grow in number as Christianity advanced in some pantheons to save certain beloved deities. That's a really good point and a really good question. That's entirely possible. And then Eric continues, if I was an ancient Greek who loved or even feared what Hakati would do if she was forsaken, I'd absolutely boost her resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she, you know, and she did uh, evolve as time yeah, and, I and places. <clears throat> I think there's an extent to which that was happening way before Christianity because yeah. she came from a pre-Greek pantheon. She did. She, she came, did. well, maybe not from a pre-Greek pantheon, but she was from a different pantheon yeah. before she was adopted into the Greek pantheon. Exactly. And and there we know that there were certain areas that worshipped her more, mm-hmm. and those are obviously the areas that wrote about her. So we're hearing about Hakati's presence in the Greek pantheon exclusively from the people who worshipped her the most. Exactly. So we don't know how like everyone in Greece worshipped her. We only know how like her extreme extra devotees worshipped her exactly and she did have devotees in about four different regions Mm -hmm. and so that's why you get varying traditions varying names varying Varying jobs and jobs Exactly. And so, like, I couldn't even begin to list all of the different ways that you can know her. And this, this is partly because Greece, ancient Greece was, was composed of city states. It wasn't like one country, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, and the different city states had different religious emphases. Mm -hmm. So, like, there may have been an area where Persephone wasn't honored especially. Mm-hmm. So Hakati in that area got all of Persephone's jobs. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. that's where these conflations happen. Exactly. And I, and I think that happened in a lot of different areas. Mm-hmm. So that's why even though Hakati is complex, right. she's also one that modern day pagans you can find a way that to honor her that makes sense to you. I struggle with stuff like this because, and part of this I think is because of the the modern sources I've read, Mm -hmm. but I struggle with stuff like Hecate's really wide-ranging influence because it just feels muddy to me. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're coming, you're bringing so many different sources together and trying to smash them into like one coherent whole Mm -hmm. when they weren't designed to create a coherent whole. Well, and I think that's why I'm, I can only speak as a, as a solitary Hecatean witch, Mm -hmm. right? I only know her in my, right? the, The way you know her experience. Um, I am part of an online coven through Cindy Brandon's Keeping Her Keys. Mm-hmm. She has an online group. Yeah. But most of my practice is solitary, and it is how I understand Hakati. And for me, it is mostly, she is, it is mostly probably her underworld aspect. Yeah, I was going to say, so setting aside, like, 
the well, big the, mishmash, the mishmash of Hecate from like four different regions at various right. time periods right. and trying to condense that into a coherent person. Mm-hmm. What's the Hecate you know? The Hecate that I know, she is first of all the dark mother. She is the psychopomp. She is the the keeper of the keys of the underworld that allows that helps me as a psychic medium to communicate and to put and protects me. There have been times when I've called upon her for protection. For me, she is also the Chthonic earth goddess mm-hmm. veers into my green witchcraft. So I very much avail myself of Hakati's garden. Not so much the poison path <laughs> as much, but just that earth goddess, hearth goddess, protector of the home aspect along with Frigga, because you know, uh, she's a hearth goddess for me. But yeah, I'd, I'd say mostly she is, she's that dark mother, that Chthonic psychopomp, queen of witches. Mm-hmm. That's who she is to me. And a, and that guide through the underworld. And the guide through the underworld, exactly. She's that light bringer. In fact, one of the strongest uh, experiences I had with her was last year at Michigan Pagan Fest when I walked the labyrinth. Right. And I was feeling very, I'd gotten through part of it and I was feeling very kind of lost, mm-hmm. which I had been warned could happen. Mm-hmm. And so I started, at that time I would really was still relatively new. Yeah, you had sort of just started the, this the Hec- journey. The, the, yeah, the journey to Hecate and witchcraft. Exactly. And so, but I had been, uh, as part of my daily practice in devotion, I had been doing the, the a daily chant of her name. Mm-hmm. And so I did that daily, that chant as I was walking in the the labyrinth labyrinth, and I felt her, I had an experience of her coming to me with her, with her torches and guiding me to the center of the labyrinth, which for me became Hakati's cave where I was able to just stand and just feel at peace and feel her embrace and like, okay, we made it. (laughs) And then she led me back out chanting that her three names uh, that I use almost exclusively and she got me out of there. And so that was really so guardian guide psychopomp. That's who she is to me. Interesting. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Air says, Gwyn, may I ask how you work with three strong female deities that for the most part are very different? <laughs> that is something that has been very interesting for me. It's been, yeah, you've been uh, negotiating that. I have been. I have been negotiating that. And especially recently because Brigid is like, okay, I gave you a year mm-hmm. and now it's time to remember that you that also, also devoted to me. And uh, I'm also, and I have a devotional practice now to Frigga as well, mm-hmm. which is really weird because I started out this whole thing as a secular witch. As a secular witch, but I was starting to feel drawn toward devotion, but was leery about it. And really, it was working through this journey into Hakatian witchcraft and practicing, getting over my barriers, if you Mm -hmm. will, of devotion and prayer and hymns. Because you had started working with Brigid before that. Yes. I, I worked you, with Brigid, Brigid yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, I know, but I'm talking about now. Oh, after yeah, After yeah. your secular witchcraft phase, okay, you yeah. had started working with Brigid. Yes, that's true. But you weren't devotional about yes, Brigid. Yes, exactly. I worked with Brigid as a... You described her to me as your supervisor. She was. It was. <laughs> that is exactly how it was. She was a supervisor kind of situation. And then I brought Frigga into mm-hmm. the home, <laughs> if you will. I felt drawn to Frigga. Part of it was because... Which was funny, because you asked me if that was okay, and I was like, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you're you're a heathen, but I wasn't interested in becoming a heathen. Mm-hmm. I just I felt drawn to Frigga and because part of it I think is because of my heritage. And so and I was also really longing for a hearth goddess. Mm-hmm. And that was that felt natural to me. So I got this little I you know, little icon of Frigga, set her up in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. I have a, a on the windowsill. On the, the windowsill. Yeah. I have an altar to Frigga in my kitchen. And I started really, if I want to say, started the devotional path that was with Frigga. Mm-hmm. Because every day I would go in, I'd light a candle and say, Hail Frigga mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, and then I'd go to my altar and light a candle for Brigand and say, Hail Brigand. And then I, then I started. That was about as much as you did. That was as much as I did. Yeah. That was it. It was more like a, hello, how are you? Yeah. It was a check-in. It was a check-in. But then I began my journey toward Hecatean witchcraft. And part of that was learning how to pray Mm -hmm. and to honor and to worship Hecate. Yeah. To really worship. To worship. Yeah. To be devoted to Hecate. So that's what I've spent the last year learning how to do. And it really has been through a very slow process of um, first daily chanting and meditation, and then moving up to being able to read the Orphic hymn while standing in front of mm-hmm. this altar, you know, say, okay, this is my devotion to you today, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So and you said you had to sort of I had to build up to, to it. Yeah, build over, uh, work through some barriers. I did. And those barriers, honestly, were, were from Christianity, mm-hmm. from letting go of this idea of I'm praying to a statue. <laughs> <laughs> so you had some, you had, had some, some like residual anxiety I some, about idolatry? Yes! <laughs> that's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. But that's the truth. It really, it was that programmed uh-huh. of 30 years of Christianity or more. Uh-huh. And I'm you, like, did, you were like, is this a golden calf? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was ridiculous. Again, it started very slowly because I'd already had, I had goddess statues mm-hmm. in my house already. But for some reason it felt different because to I wasn't. Pray to it. Yes, because I was actually honoring. I was leaving offerings mm-hmm. and I was honoring and I was praying and I was doing, I started doing the dip on every month. Because and, lighting a candle and saying Hail Frigga is pretty low stakes. It's very low that stakes. That is very low stakes. And I built up to where I am today, mm-hmm. which is a full and complete devotional practice with Hakati, mm-hmm. which I am now starting to translate into a devotional practice with both Frigga and, and Brigid. with Brigid. So Hakati has almost taught you how to better worship the other deities you work with. Yes. Yes. And she has been, for a goddess who was real picky, (laughs) (laughs) she has been uh, amazingly gentle Mm -hmm. in leading me toward this because she really is damn. I mean, seriously, from my, from my experience with Hakati, one, she does not, if she wants it done right. Yeah. You can't half-ass things. You can't half-ass things with Hakati. You do it right or she doesn't show up. Exactly. And, and that's how she is. Period. Just if you don't do it right, I'm not going to be here. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, but also in that, like for instance, I had to always, you know, especially I think with Greek gods, cleanliness, you know, washing your hands. Yeah, because of the miasma. Because of the miasma. I wasn't just, it wasn't just good enough for me to wash my hands. Yeah. At least not in the beginning. I had to take a full on bath or a shower yeah. and put on new clothes before I could go into I, I, devotional practice. 
I wonder if part of that was sort of proving your your dedication to the I process. I think it was. I think it was, and I think it was all the process of of releasing. Right. We're gonna have to. Those old Akati things. took one look at you and was like, "Oh, we have some work to do. We got to break oh, down yeah. some stuff before we can build up." Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I do have to give credit where credit is due because I, I started this process with keeping her keys, mm. Hegaday's Modern yes. Witchcraft with Cindy Brannon, and that process of, okay, we're going to start here and build your way up yes. is is in that book. And that's where I got that from. Although Cindy Brannon, I believe, did not tell you you needed to take a full shower. No, that's not in her. That was something I got straight from Hakati. Yeah. That was a no, do it again. And then after you told me that, I was like, yeah, that makes sense, considering yeah. how Hellenismos is. I, okay. So Eris says, I love that you have different places for them in your home and took Ode's feelings into consideration. And then continues, prayers are difficult for me still. I will try with offerings to see if that helps branch it. I would. I would definitely try with offerings because I worked my way up. I worked, I started with the chanting because mm-hmm. that wasn't praying. That was just it was, chanting. Well, and you were doing it while you were meditating. So it yes. probably reminded you of mantras and stuff. It did. It did. So that helped in that process. And then I began the deep nun. Mm-hmm. And I started with reading the traditional ancient prayers that are that are published those yeah. things that we know that were prayers or prayers written by like I'm also a member of the covenant of Hecate so I which is Sarita de S is Sarita de S group yep. and they have prayers that they have put out for other members to use in their private practice mm-hmm. so I would read those prayers or or other things that like what Cindy offered in the book and things like that so I would read others prayers mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I started creating my own but it really did start with first the uh, chanting and then the dipnon with offerings. With offerings, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And just slowly build from there. So, Eric, if you're still having difficulty, I would definitely uh, encourage you just start off someplace small, mm-hmm. someplace you're comfortable with, but then realize you're going to have to get at, to a place. Point, yeah. You're going to have to stretch. And it will be uncomfortable. You'll feel silly. You'll feel either silly or you'll feel like, oh God, I'm just doing something wrong. But it, it, you want to. Silly you, or guilty. Silly or actions. guilty. But, um, but once you can work past those barriers, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, it is such a, what is the word? Enriching? Yes. Very much an enriching part of my day and my practice is this devotional practice with Hakati. And the fact that it's bringing me to a place where I can now do that with my other deities. I've been adding more offerings mm-hmm. and things to, to Frigga. Yeah, your Frigga altar on the windowsill is getting very elaborate over it there. It is, it is. It's getting very, it's, I'm running out of space. Uh-huh. Um, and, but also now I can, you know, part of the reason I can't with Brigitte is because she's on a low shelf. Yeah, the cat. Where the cat can get to it. <laughs> but I've started leaving offerings mm-hmm. for her and I've started lighting a candle every day and mm-hmm. doing more than just lighting the candle. Right. And I choose, this is the other thing because I do have three very strong deities. Right. I choose different times of the day to, to do these devotions. So that you can sort of give each of them their due. Your your full attention. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's time for the reviews. Woot woot. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're actually kind of circling back to, yeah, the to witch's something box. we reviewed once already. Yep, we, we this is another facet of the witch's box. This is their book club. Yes. Their book box. It's So the witch's box was a subscription box mm-hmm. that we got for free. We got one for free to review, to review. Mm-hmm. Uh it was very very cool. Probably one of the best subscription boxes out there. Very expensive though. That's right. And this is the witch's book box and it's 
a little less expensive. It's mm-hmm. $30 a month, which I think is very reasonable. Mm-hmm. You get two books. Yes. And you also get access to their monthly book club. Book club. And where you can get together, the you can hear the authors. The authors uh, will often come and mm-hmm. speak at the book club or give an interview. And then you can talk with other members about the books that you're reading. What we got were the January books, which was really exciting to me because... They were the books by Jane Meredith. The first one is Journey to the Dark Goddess, How to Return to Your Soul. Mm-hmm. And the other is Aspecting the Goddess, Drawing Down the Divine Feminine by Jane Meredith. Now, she does come from a perspective of that feminine divine, yeah. uh, kind of like Sky Alexander. That's in the soft in, polytheism. Yeah, it's a soft polytheism. That real soft, like his clay polytheism. Yeah, <laughs> that idea that there's one divine feminine and all these different goddesses are just basically aspects or faces mm-hmm. or personages yeah. of the one divine feminine. So that is definitely where she's coming from in these books. But they're good books and they have and they're high quality. And my understanding is every month that they do this, they get two books from Which one author. For $30 is a really good price it's a actually. Really good price. Two excellent books. I highly recommend that you check out The Witch's Box book. Box. Yeah, because each of these books is about $23 a piece. Exactly. So you're actually saving you're money. saving money. <laughs> so um, I, I highly recommend it. And I, you get the book club, which is nice. That is really cool because then you can read the books and then you can discuss mm-hmm. them. You can hear an interview or get to ask questions of yep. the author. I think it's really cool. And I don't think you're going to find that anywhere else in any other subscription service. Yeah, it's very neat. They've created this kind of this little community around mm-hmm. the, their subscription service. It's it's just a neat, it's a neat thing that I haven't seen any of the other subscription services doing. Exactly. And they're high quality. When we talked about the Witch's Box previously, yeah, the, the actual products are very nice. The products are very nice. The books that they choose are chosen with great care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's a neat service. Yeah, so look it up. And this one's much more affordable than the box. Yes, this is more, <laughs> inf- this is more affordable. So if you want to have a more affordable way to be part of what the Witch's Box is doing, mm-hmm. the book box is definitely the way, the way to, to go. Yep. And it is at the Witch's Box dot com. Yep. Thewitchesbox.com. And that's it. And the reviews. Okay, one of the things I thought I would talk about are mm-hmm. some of the festivals that are associated with that Hecatean okay. witches or Hecatean sure. witches might be part Other of. And just the deep nut. Yep, because you've got your full and your dark moon. Now let's take a, a break here. Mm-hmm. Please explain to me the difference between the dark moon and the new moon. Okay. The dark I thought moon. the new moon was the dark moon. Well, it depends on who you're talking to, I suppose. But um and I I know for for certain that in his, in historical sources, the dipnon uh-huh. was considered the new moon. Okay. And that's when there's no moon in the sky. That's when there's actually I think that's when there's just the beginning of a sliver. But that's not a new moon, that's a waxing moon. But it's a very little bitty bit. It's still waxing at that point. I don't know. I don't understand is, this. All I understand I I thought the moon was when it, there's a sliver that's getting fuller, mm-hmm. it's waxing. Then it's full. When there's a sliver that's getting lesser, it's waning. Then it's dark. Yep. I thought that was the whole moon cycle. Well, all and now I people know. are talking about the I dark know. moon versus the new moon as if these are different things. Okay, so, anyway. <laughs> let, well, right now, we're going to so not... The deep non takes place on one of those. The deep non takes place on the dark moon, which is the day before the new moon. So if you need to figure that out, get yourself a moon app. It's very helpful. I like it. I like it. <laughs> it is basically the you know the last day of the moon cycle okay. is the dark. Is the, moon. Is the deep nun. Yeah, that's the deep nun. That is when 
And do the, the plate. Yes, that's when you do the offering at the crossroads, or if you can't get to a crossroads, you can do it in your home, obviously. It is something Hecatean witches are, they do every month. Most, I don't know about all Hecatean witches, but I think the majority consider that it is a, is a day to honor Hecate and magic is not performed on that day. Okay. Um, and then Numenia, the new moon, is the next, the next day. day where you honor Hecate and that is a time when you could start, could do, uh, you know, a divination to see what is, should could I do be doing? You could do waxing this? magic. You, you would could do. start the waxing magic that you're going to do or new projects or right. do uh, divination to see what you should be doing in the month, that kind of thing. And then additional times that you can worship Hakati are at dawn or at twilight because she's a liminal goddess. So those are, those are times that, you know, are considered auspicious. Then some of the official days in mo- in the modern calendar are, is the sacred fires, which is the May full moon. Okay. January 8th is midwife's day. So a lot of Hecateans will, because she is a, a goddess of Childbirth and children and mothers. A lot of Hakatian witches will honor her on January 8th. January 31st is considered the Feast of Hakati, so that is another feast day for her. August 13th is considered Harvest Blessings, so I think that comes from people when she was considered an earth goddess at one time. So. Where did these festivals come from? Are these ancient or modern? Um, some of these are modern, some of these are ancient. Gotcha. A lot of Hakatians will will honor Hakati on Samhain because she is a you know psychopomp. November sixteenth is traditionally in modern tradition Hecate's night or Hecatesia, and then November thirtieth is celebrated as the Crossroads night. Gotcha. So those are some of the holidays or times when Hakati is honored. Most Hakatian witches, I think, or a lot of Hakatian witches are solitaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, um, I was just reading Vivian Moss's book, Hakati, a devotional. She's a hedge witch. So a lot, I, my understanding is hedge witchery is, is because it does deal with the other side and with riding the hedge and things like that. It's kind of a, a good fit with for Hakati and worship, so she can fit in there. Now that we've gotten a pretty good grounding on Hakati, um, tell me how, like, what makes your witchcraft Hecatean witchcraft instead of just witchcraft, witchcraft. that happened and you also happen to be devoted? Like, what's the difference between mm-hmm. your your work with Hakati that makes your your witchcraft Hecatean witchcraft and your work with Brigid? Like, you don't have right. a Brigadian witchcraft. No, no, I don't. And that would be specifically when I do witchcraft or spells, because I'm also a green witch, so I do different kinds of witchcraft, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. But You're when I... hybrid. I'm a hybrid <laughs> witch. Uh, but when I do uh, specifically Hecatean witchcraft, if you will, it is witchcraft that is using her associated correspondences, asking her assistance in a spell. Like, for instance, the other day we did a spell on on behalf of someone, and it was a Hecatean spell. And so I, my thought was to use things that were correspondences that would work well with Hecate, and then we did the spell at the Hecatean altar, asking Hecate to be present for the rite, Asking her to lend her energy into the spell. But if, if you, so but if you did that stuff with Brigid, mm-hmm. would you be doing Brigadian witchcraft? I, maybe. I don't know. I guess I'm just asking, like, what makes, what makes Hecatean witchcraft a path mm-hmm. and not just witchcraft and also you happen to worship Hecate? 
for me, I would say it's the devotion, the devotion part. Okay. I, I think it's the devotion part. I can't speak for all Hecatean witches. Mm-hmm. Some may just work with Hecate the way I did with Brigid. Mm-hmm. For me, it is that devotional aspect because when I do a spell that is a Hecatean spell, asking for Hecate's assistance, I do it like a reg, like I would. Like a ritual. A ritual where I'm asking her to join the, you know, the rite. I read a prayer. I do a hymn. All, all those things that I would do. I declare my devotion. I cast my spell. Does that make sense? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm the wrong person to, to define what the Cotian <laughs> or Hecatean witchcraft is. But for me, it is specifically witchcraft that is, that includes a component either asking for Hecate's assistance or being devoted to Hecate. I don't know if that's maybe really it just, good. Maybe it just doesn't need a clear definition. I don't know. I don't know. It just feels, I was just wondering this mm-hmm. today. Like, I wonder what... That's a, I mean, it's a really you interesting know, what, what question. What makes that a specific path mm-hmm. rather than just... Magic. Yeah, rather than just standard magic and also your devotee of Hecate. Like, when I do magic that I learned from you, mm-hmm. I don't consider myself like a heathen witch mm-hmm. or like a Lokian witch or whatever. Like, even if I'm pulling in correspondences and asking specific heathen deities to work with me, mm-hmm. I like, I don't consider those necessary. Like, like I don't consider the witchcraft to have changed because mm-hmm. I'm using the witchcraft I learned from you. I'm just also, I'm doing it under a heathen framework. Right, right. I don't know. I guess you would have to ask other people. Because, because witchcraft is a practice. That you yes. can, we've talked about this before. Witchcraft is a practice you can kind of bolt onto anything. Yes, and I still believe that, which is why not all of the the, the craft that I practice would uh-huh. probably be considered Hecatean witchcraft. Sometimes it's more rooted in green witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, it honestly, you do use a lot of plants even when you're doing Hecatean I witchcraft. Do. Well, <laughs> I do. I do. I use a lot. Plants are my thing. It, it just depends. I do a lot of a lot of my binding or banishing mm-hmm. would would probably be something I would go to Hakati for assistance with. Air asks, if you're doing something Hecatean, I imagine that is the only deity you're working with. Perhaps she's a bit jealous when it comes to magic sharing. Do you well, think that's true? That's entirely possible. She's she is again, you know, for Hec- for Hecateans, for Hecateans, she is the queen of witchcraft. She we are her witches. So yeah, there probably is some of that. <laughs> so you wouldn't call on Hecate and Brigid simultaneously. I have in our in our rituals that we have done like a That's family. rituals though. Yeah. Separate from that. If you were doing spell work, uh, if, if I was were doing, doing magic, spell work, no, I probably would do if I was doing spell work, depending on which one I felt more uh attuned to, mm. I would I would definitely Keep them separate. (laughs) (laughs) Keep them separate. And the thing is, I really honestly, as I, as I've worked through this, I really go to Hakati more for witchcraft Mm -hmm. and I go to Brigid more for, um, like divination and, and, uh, things like that. Hmm. When I'm, like when I'm getting ready to do divination, Mm -hmm. I will often go to, you call on Brigid. I call on Brigid for for assistance with that. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's more medium. Right, unless it's your necromancy. Unless it's more necromancy. <laughs> if it's necromancy, I go to Hakati. Yeah, Finn says, ritually I call many of the deities, but spell work I call on the one that best fits the magic and or need. And that is what I would say as well, is that most of the time it's either it's either Hakati 
or it is a green craft spell, which would probably be more just the working with the spirit, working of, the with the spirit of the plants that I'm. How do those mesh the the Hecatean and the green? They actually aspects. work really really well because of the fact that Hecate works with Pharmacaea. Mm-hmm. So that I've so it's never. So sort of a natural. It's a natural thing. Blending. To, it is. It's a very natural blending of Hecatean witchcraft to use plants and herbs and resins and stones and natural things. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, it goes back to that Kafonic, uh title that she has. Right. If you're interested in learning more about Hakati, mm, yes. There, there are, are a couple of sources. There are She's sources. had a resurgence recently. She has. In the last ten years is what I'm reading. Yeah. She's really had a resurgence, along with Brigid and the Norse Pantheon, you know. Kind of um, all of them. Kind of all of them. <laughs> just, you know. But every they, popping up like weeds. They are. They are popping up like weeds. The some of the classical reading you might be interested in would be the Greek magical papyri or the PGM, mm-hmm. uh, Medea by Euripides. Metamorphosis by Ovid, the Chaldean or Chaldean oracles, the Homeric hymns, yeah. the Orphic hymns, or Hesiod's Theogony. Those are the classical references. If you read Hesiod's Theogony, get prepared for some dry reading. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, if you want something more modern, which is they a lot of, especially uh, if you don't want to read the more dry, uh-huh. you know, classical stuff. <laughs> There is, um, if you're just interested in understanding a devotional aspect of Hakati, mm-hmm. I recommend Vivian Moss's Hecate, a devotional. Right. It's, Which you referred to before. Yes. It's beautifully written. It's in, and she, it is written as a devotional to her. She also gives a lot of information at the end as a, like a book of shadows. Now kind is of that thing. Hecate spelled with a C or a K? Cause that's going to make a difference when people are looking it up. With a K. Okay. And you can spell Hecate either with a C or a K. Yeah, that's because of transliteration from Greek. Exactly. The Greek version is is K. The C is well, the, the Roman, is the, my understanding. The Greek version of Hecate well, doesn't even, have, a K, a, doesn't even have an H in it. Like yeah, that's <laughs> true. It would be Hecate. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's also, it's harder to find this one, it's older, but Hecate Soteria by Sarah Johnston. And then anything written by Sarita de Est. Yes, Sarita de Est is an academic, so yep. she's, she writes books I'm into. But she, And they're really well-researched. Yeah. Um, they all start with Hakati, and then a, there's one that's called Liminal Rites, then there's Her Sacred Fires, and then there's Keys to the Crossroads. I recommend all of Sarita's books. They're wonderful. There's also The Temple of Hakati by Tara Sanchez, and then also, obviously, Keeping Her Keys by Cindy Brannon, which we reviewed mm-hmm. and O doesn't like. I do not like it. <laughs> I do not like keeping her keys. I do not like Cindy Brandon's other book. I don't like Cindy Brandon's work. <laughs> that's okay. That's, you know, that's totally, that's, you know, everybody has their thing. Yep. And I, I really but do. But I do know. like Sarita, De, I do like what I've read of Sarita Dest's work. Sarita so. Dest is awesome. So I highly recommend her. If you're interested in getting to know Hakati and want to develop a relationship with her, first of all, understand she is very protective of those that she calls and accepts. And she's picky. And she's picky. <laughs> At least she has been she, with me. You, she may tell you no thank you. It's entirely possible. And I, she, you know, some people find her a little scary, mm-hmm. a little threatening because of her darker aspect. Yeah. People will say uh, in their visions of her, she is ju- she's usually hooded mm-hmm. and hard to see. Um, and she's usually accompanied by her black dogs. Mm-hmm. That's how most people have described her. Yet she exudes for me this dark mother, she will protect me kind of feeling. I've always had that from her. One time I think I saw her as a young woman 
at the crossroads, smirking at me, like, and it was years after I had, I had worked with her once before, mm-hmm. asking her for assistance at a cross with a crossroads spell. Right. Yes, I remember you talking about this. You yeah. you called in Hakati very casually for a random I spell. I did. I did. And then years later, which is what drew me on this uh-huh. path, she appeared to me in a ritual that was for your basic maiden mother crone. It was one of uh-huh. these, you know, um, overarching one of those divine standard, feminine yeah. standard things. And Hakati was the one who came to me. And she was standing there. At the, it was like I could. I was back at that crossroads. Rent came due. Rent came due. <laughs> she was standing there at that crossroads with those dogs of hers. As a, this is the one and only time I've ever seen her face mm-hmm. as a maiden looking at me with a smirk on her face, like, hi, remember me? Right? <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. Remember that spell you did remember? a million years ago? <laughs> and so that is the thing. It's like, you know, she, she will, if you go to her, she mm-hmm. will respond. Maybe not positively. Not always. Not necessarily. Not I think Hakati feels like she's probably, and, and this is from my outside mm-hmm. perspective, it seems like she's one of those who maybe she does tell you she's not going to work with you. Oh, she does. <laughs> she will, if, she, if she's... Like either you're not ready or she's not interested or whatever. Exactly. Like, yeah. She's, and I, I always hate to say this, but it's true. She suffers no fools and mm-hmm. she will not deal with disrespect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but once she accepts you and you are devoted to her and you show her the proper respect, she is fiercely protective of her witches. And so if you want to get to know her, I, I recommend approaching her with sincerity and cleanliness, cleanliness, <laughs> respect. And try an offering, an offering of garlic or of olive oil, apples, any of those things. Olive oil is some classic Hellenismos. Yes. This, and this is my personal, um, UPG? Osmosis. Yes, thank you. I was trying to find the word. My personal UPG, but grapes. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> you I know, can see that. that. Those make a good offering, at least when I'm doing it. So, uh, go to her with an offering and then just chant her name mm-hmm. and spend time in a meditation, chanting her name. The the one that she really responded to for me was Hakati Anodia. Mm-hmm. And just go from there. Do your research and What's see Hakati, what, what Which is Hakati Anodia? What's that one mean? That is guide. Hakati the guide. Mm. That makes sense. Hakati the guide. So Very cool. Yeah. All right. So I yeah, hope I this think is... That's, I think that wraps up. We're going to wrap it up here? Yep. Go ahead. Feel free. Okay. <laughs> Um, you can Google us, the number three, Pagans and a Cat. You can also find us at the number three, Pagans and a Cat.com. We have a, a YouTube and a mm-hmm. Facebook and a Twitter and Please a Redbubble. Please visit the Patheos Pagan blog. Right, where we blog. Mostly Gwyn blogs. <laughs> I am going to start now trying to blog once a month, so look forward to that, I guess. That's right. Um... Uh, I think the 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 idea is for me to blog uh, on Tuesdays. Yeah, the first Tuesday the of the first month. First Tuesday of the month is currently what we're going. For. Yeah, is what I'm going to be blogging on. And then it's then it's me. <laughs> yeah, otherwise it's otherwise, otherwise it's Gwen. It's always Gwen. And just Google. That's right. Just Google. Just yeah. Google. Yep. Uh, thank you, Ushirsa. That is correct. <laughs> that is what I am going to wrap up with. Just Google us. Just if Google. you found this, if you somehow found this podcast episode without having found the rest of the podcast. Just Google us. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Hopefully this wasn't too crazy and too boring. So 
And uh, Wynn's been very worried that people would be bored by this episode. Yeah, but I think she's just stressing out for no reason. Probably, probably. I All just right. want to do my goddess justice. You did. I think you did. All right. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.